This year is brought to you by Eshel Publications. Eshel Publications is a non-profit organization dedicated to spreading the Torah, Shiurim, and Sefarim of Rabbi Aaron Lapiansky. For sponsorships or more information, visit eshelpublications.com. So, um, I guess the theme was a, a sort of big umbrella of Mashiach and things of that nature and, and the pain and so on. Um, I, I will repeat certain points that I spoke Friday night. I don't know if anyone was there Friday, uh, Shabbos morning. Um, if you were, I've been assured that you can get a partial discount on whichever chazal I mentioned Shabbos. You will, you will get a discount on, on any fees. So, um, but I, I would like to approach it with a different, a bit of a different um, uh, um, introduction. Okay, there's a Gemara in Psachim. It says, the rabbis taught, Shiva Adam. There are seven things that people do not know. They are covered from people, and it means not just that we happen not to know, it's something that inherently we can't know. Eluhein, Yom Hamisa, the day of death, when a person will time is up. Yom HaNechama, the day of Nechama, of um, when our Kaddish Baruch will be menachemas, we'll see in a minute what that means. And then it says, Omek Hadin, the depth of how strong our Kaddish Baruch holds us accountable. Um, and some other things. And, and when Mashiach will come and when the, the kingdom of David will come back. So there are seven things that are completely covered from us. And the day of consolation. So Rashi says, what is this day of consolation? Yom Nechama. Shal kol adam, each and every person, masay yisnachem When will he be consoled from his worries? So this is somewhat distinct from the Mashiach and Beistavit, because those are mentioned further on. So there's something there about a day of consolation, and we don't know when it will be. So we need to understand that when we don't know when it'll be, it does, it's not a game. It's like you want to surprise somebody, so you don't tell them there's going to be a surprise party and you know, kind of make it. That's kind of childish. Um, we're talking about someone who has a... It's something that essentially can't be known to us. And we'll try to explain a little bit why and how. Um, this... Last week was Parshas Nachmo, which was the Shabbos of Consolation. We learned after about Consolation. And there is, interestingly enough, in, in the um, in, in rabbinic uh, law, uh, literature, um, and we say it in Kinnis, we have a concept of Tanchumen Shal Hevel, Consolation that is empty which sort of um, begs the question, how do we distinguish consolation that's true and consolation that's empty? The real word hevel is vapid. It kind of, it melts on touch. It's not real. So we have two types of consolation. And so obviously if a person offers condolences um, and consolement that's not genuine and so on, um, the person is not, um, doesn't, doesn't console us. It's, that's not it. So it means there is something there, but 
something is missing. It's not quite what one would expect in Nichum. And we need to distinguish between the two, which is going to touch on an issue of the word Nechama and how it's used in the Torah, and it's something about it that's theologically very strange. And examining it and getting a feel for it will help us very much understand something which is at the core of, which is on the horizon, so to speak. It's, it's what we're hoping for is the day of Nechama, the time of Nechama, and so on. There is, in Hebrew, there's a word, Nechama, um, which is used in the Torah, which means to regret. In, in the Torah, most of the time it's used, it's, it says, Hashem, so to speak, regret it, which is really, really difficult to understand um, what that means. So the Mepharshim explain, it's just like a person when he changes course, he, um, we call it a regret, when Hashem changes course, we call it a regret. But why would we dress it up like that on HaKadosh Baruch Hu? Why wouldn't we say it straight out that HaKadosh Baruch Hu um, stopped doing bad and started doing good? What do we mean when we peg the word um, that Hashem regretted? Uh, I understand when we say HaKadosh Baruch Hu is angry and it's a metaphor. It means just like when someone's angry to you, expect um, not, you expect a not kind interaction. That's the same with Hashem. That, that metaphor is apt. But when you say that Hashem regretted what he did, so yes, that means he'll now do good. But what do we mean by that regretting? Um, why don't you just say he did good? What's the metaphor filling in? So I would like to examine the word Naham um, in the language and try to get something out of that that will help us get a grasp on this concept. In the Mishnaic terminology and the Gemara, and Gemara actually more than the Mishnah, the, um, you find another word for regret, and that is charata, as opposed to Meisnachem, Vayinachem, Alara, that is in the Psukim. What's, there's a shade of difference in the two. I once saw, I thought I saw it in the Malm, I, I double-checked, Malm doesn't quite say it. So I don't remember where I saw it, but I think I've heard it once. And it does fit well. There are two ways to regret something. Let's say I'm upset at somebody and I take a very strong course of action. I, I don't know, I take the person to court, I, I hit the person, whatever. And then I recognize that it's not a smart act. So at that point... Um, that I, I regret having done it. It's, it's not that I don't think the person is a bad person. It's not that I don't think I should have or he deserves to have something done to him. But the, it wasn't a smart move for tactical reasons. That fits well with Kharata. Nacham means I rethought it and I have a very different understanding. It's when it's not a change going forward but it's a retroactive realization that it wasn't right. So, Tanchumen Shal Hevel is when a person says, um, you know, um, I'm, I, I can give something from that going forward, you'll be okay with it. But um, that's not real Tanchumen. So if a person, if God forbid, somebody loses somebody and someone consoles and says, you know, I'm confident you'll be able to go forward. I mean, it's good chizuk, it's good to have that type of reassurance. 
but it certainly does nothing to replace anywhere the loss. Um, the only time Tanhumer can work is when somehow I can retroactively replace the loss, put it in perspective, and so on. And it doesn't help, um, you know, just saying that going forward. So going forward helps me for going forward. It doesn't help me for the loss and the loss I bear. That's, that's the nature of it. So Tanhumen Shal Hevel would mean a loss of a, a consolation, which is it's empty in the sense that it's not, it's not helping me replace the loss. Rather, it's possibly helping me go forward, make do, do something else. Um, so that's not real Tanhumen. We grasp at it because we, we need to go forward, but that's it. Um, so when it says that Akarich Baruch Hu is Menachimos, Nach Menachma Ami, what exactly, what's, a, what's an example of that type of process? So let's go to a place in the Torah where the Torah uses um, the term of Nachim, and, uh, and let's see what it's like. Yosef's brothers suffered, and the whole family really, really suffered for decades. They really, really had, um, the family fell apart. This was the beautiful family. This was Yaakov Avinu with his 12 children, and this was the royalty itself, and this was the culmination of a process of three of us. And first, one of the brothers became an egomaniac and decided he's king, and the brothers gang up on him, and they sold him off as a slave. And then they, starvation hit them, and they had to run to Mitzrayim, and they had to get um, every single one brother was left, and another brother was accused of stealing, and another brother was taken into slavery, and so on. And the family began falling apart. And Yaakov said, I'll never survive it. It's, it, it everything fell apart. And then, three words changed it. When Yosef got up, and he said, Ani Yosef Achichem. He didn't say it'll be going well forward. What he, what he opened their eyes was understanding what's happened over the last 20 some odd years. And understanding what's happened in some of the last 20 years gave them back those 20 years. Chazal say here something incredible. And it says in the Pasik, let me read the Pasik. It says, after um, Yaakov uh, died, they came to him and they said, you know, we really regret what we've done, and so on. Vayoma Alem Yosef said, Altiro, don't be scared. You, you maybe thought to do bad, but Alkim Chashav Latova, Kadosh Baruch worked out those thoughts for the good. It's been a Kadosh Baruch Hu's hashkacha to, to bring, to give you a way to live through this famine. So this whole all of these events that have been happening have been happening in order that you survive and you become Kalaistro. And it says, He comforted, he gave him the Chama. In other words, this is the exact expression of Nechama when you're able to give back the past. And it's not possible to do that in any physical way for us. When somebody lost something, it's not possible. Our understanding is limited 
by um, that's just just who we are, and that's what the Gemara says. We it is hidden from us. We don't have any insight into it because it is. Um, we live in a certain slice of time with a certain limits of understanding and imagination, and in our bubble, there's no way to understand it. Um, there's a chazal over here. And the Karba chazal expresses this idea in a little bit different way. It says, Akarish Baruch who looked out, and he says, Yaakov is busy mourning his son, his favorite son that he lost. Yehuda is busy doing tshuva on his errors and what he did wrong. Yosef is busy in Egypt working up his melucha, his, his, his monarchy. And I'm busy being Mashiach. In other words, every slice of the puzzle lives in the own world and sees it, I mean, it sees that as the entirety of the world. And that's, um, and that's the way it has to be. That's the way it is, and that's the way it has to be. But I'm busy with something else because I see the sum total of it all. So the, the, the element of Nechama, and let's explain how it fits into um, the, the, the word. What it means that Hashem regretted, obviously Hashem is above emotions and certainly above error and so on. But what it means is He lets us see it in a different retrospect. Um, it, it's it's all, like, like everything else we speak about, this is just a little deeper. We speak about Hashem when He's angry, it means He interacted so with us in a way that expresses things that an angry person would express. Simcha, he expresses things that a, a person happy with us would express. Nechama means just like I, in a sticky situation, if I truly regret it, I get a different perspective about it. And that's called for me to regret something. When Hashem gives us the good, the Nechama, it means we understand it in retrospect that it was never for the bad, it was always for the good. So real Nechama is something which is a, a, a different perspective. I, I, I want to share something with you. We spoke about it in Shiva Vayas. We, we do Kinesigam Tishabav, and one of the things I usually try to speak about on, on uh, you know, there's a, there's a, a Kina called Arze Halavanon, and it deals with the ten leading Mishnaic rabbis who were killed out. It was one of the great Chorbanas in Klaus, and great tragedies. And I usually try to pick also to speak about a Godel who was killed in the war or survived the war with, with we go, went through the Holocaust and so on. And I want, to, um, I, I want to share something about the person that I think would, would give us insight from someone who actually could offer, is, is entitled to offer insight. This person's name was Rabbi Hanan Vasimin. And I, I'm not familiar with the audience. Some of you may have never heard of him. Some of you, it might have been a household world, word where you grew up. I'm going to assume nothing. I'm going to take nothing for granted. And if I am insulting your intelligence, please tell me. I, I'm, I'm just, uh, I have no way of gauging. Rav um, Hanan was one of the great Rosh Hashivas in Europe before the war. He was the Chavetz Chaim's a premier Talmud. Chavetz Chaim held him to be his greatest achievement. He had learned by Rabbi Chaim Briska. He was both a tremendous Talmud Chacham, tremendous tzaddik, but most important, his yeshiva was unique for the following reason. All other yeshivas catered to the age of like 21, 22, 
And that had been great before World War I, when people were interested in coming to learn, when people knew what Torah was. Between the wars, things were falling apart very rapidly. The community structure had been destroyed in World War I. Haskalah had gained great, had gained great traction. There were a tremendous amount of social movements that were sweeping everybody up. It was, they, they were very hectic and, and passionate days, and yeshivas were being emptied and drained. And the idea that somebody would go from cheder and a few years later start to go to yeshiva didn't happen. Rabbi Hanan's yeshiva was from, let's say, 13, 14-year-old, sort of dovetailed with what high school would be by us, told they were about 20. This is a six-year yeshiva. And then he moved them on to the other great yeshivas and fed all the other yeshivas. Um, there were three, four, five primary yeshivas, and then most people ended up in the mir. The mir was like the sort of the end base marriage. That was... So Rebel Hanan's yeshiva forged and shaped B'nai Torah. His learning was meticulous. He focused on the skills a younger boy would need, and any attempt, they would be impatient. We want to do the big leagues, isn't that? He would force them to learn step by step. He, he taught them what it means to daven like an yeshiva, to be on time. All of the skills and all of the mores of a yeshiva, and yeshiva bacha were taught in Baranovich, and strongly so. He was very, it was a strong taskmaster in that way, and he had a wonderful mashkiach, and basically he shaped the Torah. He had been in Brisk before the war. The 20 years from 1920 to 1940, his yeshiva produced the people who would go on to Kamenitz and then go on to the Mir and then became the Rosh Yeshivas of my generation. Uh, I don't think I ever had a Rebbe, a European Rebbe, who hadn't learned Maranovich. They went to other places. Very few stayed beyond the six years. It wasn't, that wasn't the custom there, but most everybody had gone through it. And this was their reference point to what a Bentor is. That's what he did in those 20 years. He had a very rough time. Finances were incredibly difficult. He bore them, and it was very, very difficult. Um, he went to America from 1938 till mid-39, and was told after of 1939 to raise funds. He spent a year and a half. Um, just to show you what kind of, what his person was like, one of his things was his incredible self-control, his incredible sense of mind over matter, not making things levitate, but being able to do what he felt was right whenever. Extraordinary, what's the right thing to do, and calm, collected. His calm was, my father was in the Kavna Ghetto where he was killed, my father was not in the yeshiva, and my father remembers him, and he said, you never lost his calm demeanor, always thought out, and what's the right thing to do? When he left America to, for a year and a half, it was devastating. I mean, you didn't fly back and forth in those days. We think today an 18-hour, 16-hour trip is difficult on the plane. Um, and if there's no culture of food, then it's a catastrophe. I mean, this was schlepping on a ship for a week and a half, volumes for a year and a half with no communication and not knowing how well you do. He, he was very lucky to do it, but he had no choice. The debts were just overwhelming and everything, and he went. He spent a year and a half in America and did reasonably well, collected money, and was also drew a group of young American men um, around him. These were not yeshiva people specifically, but they were very idealistic Balabatim. And this became the cadre of lay leadership who sent their children to yeshivas after the war 
and who created the, the institution, the Torah Institutions of America. They, they were the ladies, Ramosha Scherer, and Mike Tress, all the people you read about, they, he was their hashpah. He was the first god they'd ever seen. He was, he was a giant. They, they, were, they were in awe of his personage, of his learning, everything about it. And that's what he succeeded at the end of the half, and he did quite well. He came back. Within a month and a half or two, the war broke out, and Poland was invaded. His yeshiva ran. Basically, they, they, they were in Lithuania. Lithuania fell on the communists. The communists, the first thing they did was go to the yeshivas and destroy them, and his yeshiva included. He had to run away to Kovna. Um, in Kovna, he was, with 10,000 other Jews, killed um, shot at the 7th Fort, not by the Germans, but by the Lithuanian fascists. Um, and in Thomas, it was, it was 75 years ago. Th- that was his story. Um, I-, I want to uh, pause a minute. Imagine him at the end of his life when he's being taken to be shot. And we do have witnesses of what he said. They're incredible. But there's something more I'd like to add. So... He had worked all his life on building up um, a yeshiva, with yeshiva bachrim, with a future. It's gone. The yeshiva itself has been destroyed. The bachrim, the chances that they would survive, is minimal. The chance anyone would survive was minimal. Um, they either, I mean, the choice was dying in Siberia or dying in a, in a, in a, in a death camp, or, or, the, or the fascists, the Lithuanian fascists, when they were given, they killed out tens of thousands. Um, terrible programs. Now, um, he spent a year and a half raising money in America for nothing. That money went no place to nothing. So he wasted a year and a half of very difficult time for money that went nowhere. And that was it. That's the end of his story. A few days before he was taken away, people around there, um, people around there asked him, to please, um, to talk to them. And, uh, and there were a few things that he said. He gave a share before, the day before he was taken to be killed. There are eyewitnesses, there's still somebody alive. Um, at Mayor Vesem, there's a person at Yusuf Kuczynski. His father was a mashkich of, of, of uh, Slavotka. I know him well, um, a wonderful person at Israel. And he remembers he was a 13-year-old boy when, when he was there in the house. He stayed in his house when he was taken to be killed. <coughs> He was, his, he was asked to say a shir about Kiddush Hashem. At first he refused because he said he's not sure if he has enough clarity of mind to give the appropriate halachic nuances. That's, that's the person he was. And, um, and then, and then he, he said a shir on it and he told them that a sacrifice, what's very, very important about a sacrifice is that you don't have any untoward thoughts about it. You're not supposed to think things that are not right, and therefore um, everybody should think only L'shem Shemayim and the Kedush Hashem and so on. But there's the, the piece that I want to um, relate, I think is the most significant, is a few days before they took him out to be killed, the, the situation was terrible. There were pogroms all over, and the, 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 the Germans had just come in, and, and Everything was in terrible turmoil. And someone asked him to speak for them and explain to them um, what's happening. How do you understand it? 
And he gave the following marshal. He said, a real city person came to visit a farmer. And this person was clueless. And the farmer took him out and he showed him a beautiful field grown with green and lush, beautiful. And he says, you see this? He says, yeah, it's beautiful. Watch. He takes a tractor, or not a tractor, I guess it was, uh, it was uh, whatever they used to, to plow a field, and destroyed and ripped out every shred of green in it. And this person was shocked, and he said, you're a vandal. He says, watch this. He takes out a big sack of grain, and he says, it's nice. Yeah, it's gold, nice. Tosses it out and buries it under the sand. And the person is just shocked, doesn't know what kind of crazy person this is. A few weeks later, the stuff grows. He says, you see, it says, it's very nice. Cuts it all down. Baffled. He says, then he sees these big piles of grain, and then he puts it, and he crushes it, and there's stuff all over the field laying leaves and, and stalks and grain. Then he takes the grain and he grinds it down to fine powder. And now he's really confused. Then he takes it, mixes it with water, and puts it in a very hot oven. And it's then the farmer takes out a loaf of bread and says, here. He says, until you don't see the loaf of bread, you'll never understand the phases. And this is said by somebody who wasn't sitting from the comfort of a living room talking Ashkafa. This was said by somebody that was one of those, he, he said, I am a city person, and every single person is a city person, and we only see phases. And we can't understand because our mindset doesn't cover it. For a person who doesn't understand, doesn't know where a loaf of bread comes from, uh, other than the supermarket, but has never seen it, none of this makes any sense. I mean, bread is, is some positive. How do you do so much destruction? How do you build and destroy and build and destroy and build and destroy, and that's where you get a loaf of bread from? The answer is, we don't know, but we understand that it's part of a process. This is how he viewed it. We look back in retrospect we're living 75 years later, we understand very well what happened. He raised a generation of Rosh Hashivas, Rabbeim. He raised the year and a half in America wasn't to make money for Zeshiva. The year and a half in America was to create a cadre of Balabatim who would appreciate Yeshivas and Rashivas and who would be inclined to send their sons to build Torah And that's what he did. He saved American Jewry. And he could not have known about it and could not have seen it about it. The only thing that he could have lived with was with the confidence that he only sees part of it and that there is a Nechama. And I think it's a very, very important piece for two reasons. First of all, whenever we go through difficult times, and especially somebody who has many difficulties, the thing about it that makes it um, extremely difficult is not only the difficulty, but the, 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 the incomprehension. Childbirth is not easy, but you understand that it leads to a child at the end. So, so you, you deal with the difficulty, with the labor and the pain as labor and pain, but you don't have that, that sort of emotional devastation of, of not knowing where you're going. Um, I, I want to add something. Unfortunately, I believe, there are many people that, that maybe they mean it well, 
where they try to offer all sorts of understandings. It's this tikkun, it's that tikkun, it's, it's, you know, I mean, you can become very specific, not specific, Gilgal, this, that, the other thing. The Gemara says these are things that the day of Nechama is hidden from us. It, us includes Mekubalim. You can, it, it, it makes no difference. It included Rebbe Chanam Asimim. Rebbe Chanam Asimim did not know. He didn't live by knowing what's going to happen and which Tikkun he did and which Gilgal he is and, and what that. He lived with saying, I know that there's something at the end, but I now, so long as I live in a segment of time, I'm not privy to it. And that is the fun way, fundamental way to approach it. Um, figuring out what will be is, I believe, futile because the Gemara says it's hidden from us. Um, we, we are, it is appropriate to do what we can to help ourselves. That's where Kajbrok made us. A person works to earn a living. A person goes to that to get healed. A person is supposed to um, try to better himself on the, when difficult circumstances come. Those are all appropriate. And a person is supposed to have two emunas. One is that Akadosh Baruch Hu, it's headed for a loaf of bread somewhere, and that someday we'll understand it retroactively. In other words, it's not that we that we can understand now, and no understanding now will 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 give it to us. But it's something that if we know that there'll be a time when we will understand how it led to the loaf of bread, it's already easier. The, the, in in the, the, the next week's Aftorah, Mr. Hashem, two weeks, uh, week, um, is Anochi, Anochi, Humenachemchem. The word Anochi in, in, in Hebrew, as opposed to Ani, is, is a very, very unique word. Ani is a, both of them mean I, but they mean it in a very different way. The word Ani is a relative pronoun. In other words, him, you, I. So it's one of three possibilities. We, they, them. So ani is simply a relative position. Was it him? Was it you? Was it me? Anochi is a very emphatic word, which means I, the essential self. Me and me, myself, in the very essence I am. Anochi is not part of a set. It's not, it's not a subset of... It, there is no ato with the same type of inflection and no, and no who. It's, it's when Hashem says, Anochi Hashem Olekecha, it doesn't say, well, we've got to choose a God, I'll be the God. Anochi means I am God in a way that is, there is no other God. It's not one of. It's, it's not one of what could be. It is, this is me in my essence. Anachama is one of the few things that it's used on. Anochi, anochum nachemchem. I, it is I, it is the anochi. In other words, it's not something that can be gotten through any other branch. Anything that can happen somewhere else, we could get access to. It's open, it was given to the world. So an angel, a tzaddik, I could, I could understand it. And Torah, it says, Loba Shemaimi. So we could understand Torah. We could deal with it. This is something that is part of that hidden process. This is, and the Gemara says, the Yom Necham, the day when every person is consoled on his own personal difficulties that he's gone through, is a hidden day. 
And just like the day of death, we all work to the last day with hope that we continue. Um, we couldn't live otherwise. And the same thing is true. This, this is the, 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 the border where Hashem starts and we're finished. Our hope is that someday Hashem will reveal himself as such and will understand the process from the end. Until then, um, the way to deal with it is just to know there is such a process and just to know that Hashem someday will be part of the process. And that's why when we console somebody who's lost someone, we say, that's the day when HaKadosh Baruch Hu will retroactively give us to understand how all the different goloses have led to the gula, and how personally all of the difficulty went through is part of, an, of a long process that someday, Be'ez Hashem, we will be misnachem. So, Be'ez Hashem, um, what a good note to finish. Uh, uh, this is my last uh, interaction, and it has been a very, very wonderful trip. I mean, I've been... Uh, in some ways, it's a bit of a homecoming because my father was very strongly Litvish, he grew up in Kovna, he had a family in Kovna, he had a wife and children who were killed in the war, and I grew up very much with kind of patriotism towards Lithuanian Jewry. That's, that's sort of, that was uh, inbred. And, um, and I know South Africa was, we actually had a cousin here, an elderly lady, I, I don't know what happened to her. I mean, she was nifted a long time ago and she left no family. But, um, so I guess there's something um, about Lithuanian Jewry that sort of reconnects us. It's been a wonderful time, and I appreciate every single person who did whatever was needed to make me feel at home and hospitality and so on. I, I don't know people in, by, uh, specifically, but um, I'd like to thank everyone in this Hashem. We should all be zochah to the Necham of Kaisal and our personal Necham is included in that session. Thank you. 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 Thank you.